0: So, last week, I had run a grinder through my finger, right here, and, and I tried to show people the picture, because I took a picture of it. I, Whenever I hurt myself, I take pictures, and I send them to my wife. Am I going to die? Do I got to go to the hospital? She'll be like, no, yes. So, i like, no, no. Great. All right. And I wrap it with aids. So, so uh, Sarah, I was doing an announcement, she goes, I don't want to see it. So, she runs from it the entire time. Well, uh, I sent a... we do this thing called an email update. If you you can go online, you can sign up for it. Once a week, I send out an email update with some announcements and stuff so you know what's going on around here. And I put that picture in the email update. And she's all, oh, you got me. I'm like, get over it. You got a little boy. It's going to happen. It's merely a flesh wound. I won't bite you. Uh, Baptisms are April 17th. Uh, that's almost two months away, but we have a baptism class on March 6th. Uh, if you've never been baptized, you would like to get baptized, come to the class, you can sign up in the back, we'll send you information about it. If you can't make March 6th, it's okay, we'll have another one, probably a, a few more in there. Uh, but we want, I, one of the things Jesus says is, be baptized. So, get baptized. And, and, and it's not all awkward, we don't like bring you in here, and like put you in like, I don't know, like, Bobbing for apples, bin or something for Everybody be all yay, you know. What we do is we all get together at a, at a big pool, so it's not uncomfortable because there's only like 250 people there. And you get we we don't, you don't have you like have to share a story in the pool or anything. We have you do those ahead of time, and and we baptize you, and then it's it's a big party. We all hang out and have fun, and it's great. You can stay as long as you want. Don't feed my dog, and that's, that's the two rules of godliness, right? Have fun partying. Don't beat Aaron's dog. And we hang out, and it's a really good time. So if you'd like to be baptized, just sign up in the back. We'd love, we'd love to baptize you. If you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, we have sermon, sermon notes on these communion tables around the room. They look like this. On the inside, there's some notes that goes along with what we're talking about. Also, some questions go a little bit deeper into what we're talking about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called UVersion. Then you click on live and UVersion. We'll come by GPS in your smartphone. You will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes along with today's message. <sighs> That's like a mouthful right there. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me? Reading God's word? Acts chapter 2, verse 41, and it says, So those who received his word were baptized. See, there it is again. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who listen to your words spoken to us, that we would be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted and encouraged to live the lives that you call us to live, that we would honor you with all that we are. Amen. Have a seat. Alright, so we are in this series. It's going through the first half of the book of Acts. It will take us two-thirds of this year to get through. And I keep saying we do this for many, many reasons. But part of it is that we really want to be a better church. Uh, We want to be uh, people who... Who follow Jesus much better than we than we do today. And so there, we lose a lot of things in the early church that we can emulate that would make us more Christ-like in our community together. Uh, we're also aware that Santa Maria is a transitional community for a lot of people, especially those in the Air Force. And some are only here for months or a few years, but they have to move. And so we want to help you to know what to look for in a church when you go someplace else. Because a lot of people at some point in their life come to two conclusions. Number one is they want to check out a church. And number two they have no idea what to look for. Uh, it's kind of like if you ever bought your first computer, you're like, I know I need one of these things, but I have no idea what to look for. Or maybe uh, the first time you went to a coffee shop, I know I need one of these things, I just don't know what to look for. Maybe first time you got a smartphone, I know I need one of these things, I just... I don't know what to look for, that kind of thing. So uh, many people who step into this room kind of have a background in church, a little bit of, of some sort. Uh, this could be being dragged there by your mom when you're a little kid, and when we talk about the Connect cards and the seats in front of you, you're like, oh, good, doodle paper." Right, And that's that's all you think that it's it's really there for. Uh, I think that there have been some healthy experiences people had in churches, but the most you hear today are all about the negative experiences people have had. And so what we want to do in the book of Acts is kind of give you a grid uh, of what to look for because most people who go to a church, their only criteria in finding a church is, I don't want it to be boring. And quite honestly, that is a horrible criteria to look for at church. Uh, my wife and I lived in Arizona for a year. And we were trying to find a church to go to, and either churches had really good music and a horrible preaching, or decent preaching and really horrible music. And so we settled on this church that had decent preaching, and the music was not that great. the The pastor's wife played piano not well, okay, and and she sang and led everybody not well, okay. So I guess it wasn't boring if you think about it. You just go, oh my goodness. What's going to happen today? Because he lives. It's like, it's the best church ever. You know, maybe we should just start doing that here. I don't know. I don't know. Um but but having the whole thing of I don't want it to be boring. I mean that that that's horrible. We we chose a church because they they preached out of the Bible. Uh we got there and they were on Ephesians chapter 1. We left a year later they weren't they were on Ephesians chapter 2 like verse 15, okay? And I'm like this is the church for me. Because you think I take a long time going through a book? Holy cow, that, that, that's amazing. And so what we want to see what the Bible says about a church, and so what we know what we are supposed to be about. Uh, by the time we're done with the book of Acts, we'll hopefully hit 30 different characteristics, uh, so you'll have, to have a good idea of kind of a grid to look for. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. So we have seen so far that Christianity is an historical faith, the heritage that we come from should inform us about Jesus and his work, that through that there's guidance that leads us, not just in pastors of a church, but also one another, as we lead and guide one another. Uh, Last week we talked about worship that reminds us of why we are here, and that's to live on mission. Worship isn't music, music can be part of it, but it's all that we do in our lives. Uh, Jesus, after the resurrection, is taken up into heaven. He promises his disciples the Holy Spirit. And he said the Holy Spirit would come to give them power. See, if you remember this, why was the Holy Spirit going to give them power? To be witnesses. Somebody listen one of you. Okay, great, great. To, bring, to get power to be his witnesses. Uh, last week we saw the Holy Spirit comes and it empowers these disciples to speak all of these known languages to these people who were in the city of Jerusalem. This takes uh, place at a holiday called Pentecost. It's a large gathering for people all over the known world. So God like goes out and he brings all these people in for this holiday. He empowers his people to then go and be his witnesses there. Uh, and so they begin to speak what's called the gospel. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is, his rescue and redemption of us. These vast crowds come together. Acts chapter 2, verse 5 says, Now that we were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? And it goes through and gives you 12 different nationalities after that. It was who was hearing them speak in their own native language. And they say, we're hearing them tell in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So they were being Witnesses. And all were amazed perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So they hear the gospel being spoken, and what happens now is one of the disciples, a guy named Peter, is going to give up, get up, and he's going to preach the first sermon in the history of the Christian church. But before we read the message, I want you to hold your place in Acts 2 and flip over to Matthew chapter 16. Because in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes a statement I think is misinterpreted by a lot of people. Uh, Jesus says to his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter answers in Matthew 16, 16, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then Jesus makes this statement. Back to Peter, Matthew 16, verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, this is a funny little play on words that people kind of misinterpret. Uh, Jesus gives Peter the nickname, the rock, okay? You're like, that guy? I can't do it, but you know. The rock. Now now this is Jesus kind of making a plan on words about his church and being a little bit funny because if you know anything about Peter, you know he's anything but a rock. Uh this is like you give your, your best friend who who weighs like a thousand pounds a nickname Tiny, right? That's that's what this kind of is. It's the opposite of, of who Peter really is. But some people, you know, take this statement and they start to say, Oh no, Jesus is gonna build his church on Peter. But no, Peter isn't a rock. Some religious traditions hold really strongly to that. But if you look grammatically in the Greek, that's not what Jesus is referring to. Jesus is referring to uh, Peter's statement, his confession that the church will be built on Jesus, the Messiah, Savior, Son of God. The bedrock of the church will be the witness that we proclaim of who Jesus is. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is what we're proclaiming. And I think when you get to Acts chapter 2, Peter's first sermon, he is understanding that. Uh, I mean, some people... People say it's Peter's second sermon. His first one is right right here and it's just like nine words but I think the other one's the first one. And what you have to see is that Jesus calls the church His. He says, I am going to build my church. People say this to me all the time. How's your church doing? And they always think I'm being funny when I go, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. You're like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, I didn't make a joke. I'm dead serious. It's, it's Jesus' church. He's the head shepherd of this church. And Jesus says, I will build it. That is a promise that he makes. That is more than numerical growth. It's a, it's a mission of God's people glorifying him, discipling one another. He says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means it's going to endure. Gates are defensive. They're defensive. They're not offensive. It's not like, close the gates and attack! It's open the gates and let's run out and get them. You close the gates and you defend. And what it tells you is that hell should be the thing on the defensive, that we move forward with the proclamation of the gospel. We speak, we bring life and light and love into brokenness and fallenness that is our world today. We preach Jesus that he brings redemption and life and hope. This world is fallen and death runs rampant and it is not right. Decay and death are our enemy. I mean, if you look in the mirror, anytime you're over 30 years old, you looking in the mirror and you're like, wow, something is not right. See, every over thirty is like, ha ha, ha yeah. Under 20, if you're under thirty, you're like, what? <laughs> you'll hit thirty, and you'll be like, oh my goodness, what happened to that guy? Oh wait, that's me. I mean, that's kind of what happens. The church is meant to be a preservative of the kingdom of God in the world. And Jesus says the only thing that will last for eternity is that witness of who he is. So Jesus sends his spirit to give people power to be witnesses. Some believe. Some people mock, just like today. Acts 2, 12, and 13. And all were amazed, perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. So Peter, whether they're mocking or believing, he's got everybody's attention. So he is now going to give that first message in the history of the church. I am going to read the whole thing. Okay? It's going to be long, but just stick with me. I will try and do it in Peter voice. So when I do it in Peter voice, if someone walks in, they're gonna be like, What in the world? But right, you'll think it's funny, they won't. But okay. Verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them Men of Judea. I'm kidding. That's not Peter's voice. I'm just going to go. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, this is my voice. Let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. He's like, drinking comes later. Come on, you know that. I think that's funny. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my male and female ser- male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit so they shall prophesy. Prophesy means making known a mystery. That means they are going to be a witness. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it, it was not possible for him to be held by it for David says concerning him I saw the Lord always before me for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced my flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption you have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence brothers I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his ascends on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh see corruption this Jesus God raised up and that we are all witnesses being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing for David did not ascend into the heavens but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool let all the house of Israel therefore Again, to make you witnesses. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So basically today, you get a sermon within a sermon, like a dream within a dream or a flashback within a flashback. That works. Now, personally, I think this message of Peter's is longer uh, then is actually recorded here. It says Peter actually gave more other words. So, so don't be all bent out of shape that my messages are like over half an hour and Peter's is like five minutes. I don't think that's how it really worked. Uh, later in Acts, Luke talks about the apostle Paul. He's preaching. He preaches so long this young guy falls asleep and falls out a window. Hopefully that has not happened here. There are connect cards doodle on if you feel like that. So just use those. Uh, today the title of this message is preaching that changes us. It's preaching that changes us. Peter communicates some very, very clear truth. And I think God has been very clear about what he wants us to say and how he wants us to speak to one another. Aaron Broquette writes this. He says, Preaching is giving voice to what God once said. It is that God is not silent. God has communicated, and Peter preaches this with urgency and authority. Uh, Later, the Apostle Paul talks to his young protege. His name is Timothy. tells him his responsibilities. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now, the word charge there that, that Paul uses, it's this word diamartumiai, and it kind of have rolls your R's in there a little bit, but I'm a white boy and I can't do it well, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, it's these two words, dia. Dia means uh, by means of or through. Like if you do online bill pay at your bank, Right? And you, and your bank like sends the money for you. It comes from you, but it goes through them. That's kind of the idea behind it. And then this other word, martyrio, it means to be a witness. So he charges you. That means God's witness through you. That's what he's saying. That's what the Holy Spirit's going to do, enable you to be a witness. So he says, in that you preach the word. Well, you preach the word. What's that? That's the gospel. That's, that Jesus lived, died, rose, paid for our sin, gave us new life. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Well, do I gotta get a license for that? Is it like wabbit season? I mean, what is that? Right? You know, do some people preach better in the summer than in the fall? How How's that work? No, it means that some people are primed and ready to hear the words that you are going to say, and some people aren't. Peter says, you just preach to everyone, though. Some will mock, others will listen, just like they did to Peter. I mean, sometimes I, I go through a message, and someone will grab me after the service and be like, how'd you know about my life? You wrote that about me. I'm like, no, I didn't. The, the thing is that they are in season. They're in season. Other people, after a message, they will send me hate email or write bad reviews about me on Yelp. It has happened. It has happened. Be like, I can yelp this church. You sure can. You sure can. You know. And today, I think when you, when you go into a place and you hear someone speaking the word of God, I think a question that you have to ask is, Am I in season or out of season? You know, is my heart? Open in this. Paul says preaching will tend to do three things. Reprove, which is correct sin. Rebuke, point out error. And exhort, which means to encourage people to live the gospel. He says, with complete patience and teaching. That's what preaching does. Sometimes I'm not good at it because I talk too fast and I have no patience. But this is what Peter actually does. So I'll take Peter's sermon and I'll kind of show you how he does these things to bring these people to the place of openness of hearing the gospel. Uh, first thing Peter does is he gives them the history of where they've been. This is what our prophets have said. This is where we are at. And then he goes and he reproves them, like Paul says. Peter points out their sin. You crucified and killed Jesus. Now, Peter is not diminishing his own sin. Again, if Peter had, you know, Peter's the guy who denied Jesus three times, so we know he is not sinless. But Peter is showing sin. What is sin? The most common Greek word for sin is this word harmatia, and it comes from a technical word used in archery, where if you're trying to aim at the bullseye and you miss it, you're not Katniss Everdeen and you're not like Robin Hood, you keep missing the bullseye, that is what sin meant meant missing missing the mark. The word sin can be used to express willful rebellion against God or falling short of what God has called us to. Uh, They are sins of what's called commission where God says, don't do this thing, and we're like, yeah, whatever, and we go and we do that thing and sins of omission where God says, I want you you to love your neighbor and you're like have you seen my neighbor they're knuckleheads i'm not going to love them and that's a sin of omission not doing what god called you to do the sense of the scriptures is that god is concerned both with our willful blatant sins and the unintentional breaking of god's will where we fall short where we miss the mark our english word for sin comes from this old english word called sin spelled s-y-n-n it's a little bit different but it comes from this uh, greek or uh, this german root that meant guilty and so you look at Genesis 1 and 2. God creates all these things. They're beautiful and they're wonderful and they're good. There's a relationship with God, relationship with other, relationship with creation. It's this wonderful, wonderful thing. But that is totally different than our human experience today. You know, the, the difference comes about because of sin. More precisely, our sin. And there are two Jewish words that need to be remembered whenever you talk about this. And Peter is a Jew, so this is in the back of his mind. I think I've told you this like three times last year. The first word is shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It means everything's in the right place, at the right time, in the right way, the right relationship. Everything is good between you and God and you and each other. It is God's favor and God's blessing. This is how the earth was created, how man was meant to live, in peace with God. The second word is the word tov, which is the word good. Uh, This means everything that is good, that which is beautiful and attractive and majestic and useful and profitable, that which is morally right. And God is the one who gets to make the distinctions what is good and what is not good so how does the pristine shalom and goodness and grace and harmony between god and man and nature come to be what it is today you know how do we understand the harsh workings of nature where there's droughts and famines today if and if men and women are called to procreate you know why does it hurt so bad to have babies like bill cosby says strep- stretching your bottom lip over the back of your head and then why is bill cosby turned out to be such a knucklehead in the end i mean why why is that and and if god created the human body why does nakedness cause us shame In short, how is the existence of evil to be accounted for? And the answer is sin. It's sin. Genesis 3, we call this the fall of man. Man said, God, I know everything you said. I'm going to live my life the way I think I want to because I think that's better. And man breaks relationship with God and he falls. And we pay the price ever since because we do the exact same thing. So sin becomes many things. Sin is the disruption of shalom. It is the disruption of God's peace. We're created at peace with God, each other, creation, even ourselves. And sin is the ways where we disrupt that peace, that we have violated God's peace. The second thing is rebellion. We don't like the way that God has set things up. So we rebel against God's order of things, the world and the way it was made, so we destroy it in the process. Thirdly, sin is participation in the way of death. What you understand is Genesis, it is always active. It's never static. It's not still. And so when sin comes in, it means we're steering things in the opposite direction of God. This could be individually, could be in our families, could be globally. When one billion people on our planet go to bed hungry, that number should be shocking and offensive to us. It is missing the mark. Sin is missing the mark of what we're aiming at. Peter says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Why was Jesus delivered up? Because he's the only one who could take care of our sin problem, of what separates us from God and each other. You and I are that bad. We can never atone for ourselves. In Ephesians, Paul talks about that sin separates us from God and each other leads to our problems in the world. And yet Jesus come to die for our sin, rise in victory over sin and death, and take it all away. Ephesians 4, 17 to 25 speaks about how we, to, we respond to what God has done and walk in the knowledge of Jesus. Peter, what he starts with is reproving them. The next thing Peter does is he rebukes them. He points out their error. And I know this is where a lot of people who, who attend church or don't attend church say, that's where the church really shines, pointing out everybody's problems. That's what the church does, right? No, we, you, we so misunderstand this word rebuke. You know, we rebuke and we think it's like, oh, I'm going to go and tell somebody off, wrong or this. Because in our culture, we are so easily offended. I mean, we get offended at everything. And we go and we write about it on Facebook and tell our friends, oh, and all your friends are offended for you. It's like, my goodness, people, we've got to stop being so offended. I mean, if you get hurt by somebody, proper rebuke is going and talking to that person. Well, I don't want to talk to them. I want everybody else to be on my side. That's not how it's supposed to work. To rebuke meant you're honoring somebody else. You're living the gospel, the truth of Jesus in each other's lives. Rebuke is this word, it's called epitemia, and it means to show honor. It has its roots in this idea to raise the price of. Like if you buy a stock, which way do you want it to go? Up. You buy a house, which way do you want the value to go? Up. This means that, that we're supposed to come into one each other's lives, and we're supposed to raise the value of them in our eyes. We're supposed to honor them in a way. Epa means on, timiao means honor, on, honor. That's the word rebuke. Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. But in both ways, you are loving and honoring him. Proverbs 27, verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Why? It's part of living out the gospel. Proverbs 17, verse 10, a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. If you go and you talk to somebody and you rebuke them in a way that is honoring to them in the midst of it, somebody who is wise will listen to that. A fool is just going to be offended and post about how you talked about them on Facebook. That's just kind of how these things work. We as a people continually to insist, to persist, to refuse, to honor each other the way God calls us to. Element, let me be honest with you. Okay, Let me rebuke you. We are a people who are steeped in sin. Our sin has cut us off from God. That is nobody's fault but our own. And so Jesus has to die a brutal, bloody, painful death for the grievous sin that separates us from relationship with him and each other. Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Do you realize if you were the only person on this planet, Jesus still would have died for it, separated you from him to take away that sin? And what that means is we are people who also are guilty and culpable in the death of Jesus. And that should humble us enough to stop thinking that we are God's gift to the world. Because we're not. Jesus is God's gift to the world. Hebrews 9.22, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So Jesus dies in our place. That is the language of love and restoration and reconciliation and rebuke. It's atonement. He's making the world right with him again. It weaves scripture together. Romans 3.23-25, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hmm. I wonder who all is. All, okay, and are justified by his grace as a gift through redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, rebuking and speaking the truth to one another about our true reality. Guys, look, you and me, we are jacked up. We are jacked up. Our sin makes us dummies. Look at your last 10 or 15 Facebook posts and you will agree with me. Okay? We are all just dummies. But Peter, he doesn't leave them there because the gospel doesn't leave us there. Peter lastly exhorts, which means he encourages. In uh, Acts 2, 38 39, says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. It's the idea that God calls, this is the gospel, this is grace, that is good news. He doesn't leave them torn down after he rebukes them and reproves them. He brings and exhorts them and gives them encouragement and speaks about the hope and the grace that God wants them to live in. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. There is nothing more important or more encouraging than the death and the life of Jesus, the cross and atonement. Without Jesus, there is no eternal life, no forgiveness of sin, no relationship with the good and holy God, and no relationship with each other as well. So we must understand and know the reason for his death and his life. Like 10 years ago, Mark Driscoll wrote this. He wrote, It is not about the subjectivity of our feelings, but the objectivity of the cross that the children of God were saved, that, the sin, that their sins were made to be atoned for. That is what preaching that changes is meant to do. Reprove, correcting sin, rebuke, pointing out error, and encouraging us to focus on the hope and the grace and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that no matter what church you end up connecting to in your life, that needs to be central. Proclamation of the gospel. Not messages that are, oh, all, all fluffy and make you feel good and tell you how wonderful you are. It's not ten steps to the better you or the better life or the better whatever. It is one step. That is Jesus. Repentance. Jesus. The truth of why he came, lived, died, and rose from the grave. What Peter does is he preaches to them the whole gospel. It is not bits and pieces. It is God is holy and God is righteous and God is just. But God is also full of grace and mercy, and compassion, and patience. It has been said by a lot of good authors that unless we understand both of those things, we will never be a people who live in the redemptiveness of the gospel in our lives. So my question for you is, do you understand both? The goodness and the holiness and the grace and the goodness of God. You know, the the holiness, the righteousness, but the goodness and the grace. Do you understand both of those hand in hand? Because when Paul says to preach the gospel, it's not just meaning me, it's all of us. How do you preach it in your life? How do you live it with your friends? Are you somebody who just reproves and rebukes and that's it? You've got no encouragement? Are you somebody who only encourages and will never reprove or rebuke? You've got to bring these things together. I mean, there's a lot of times where I I think every message I give at Element sounds the same. You know why? Because it is. It's the same one. I got one message Jesus. And that's, and I keep bringing it back to this. I mean, if you're here for any length of time, you'll be like, man, he talks about Jesus all the time. There's a reason for that. Okay? Because we're dummies. And we're jacked up. And yet Jesus brings grace and goodness. I mean, part of understanding why we bring it to communion every week is that it is the holiness and the righteousness and the, and the, and the judgment of God comes together with God's mercy and compassion and grace they kiss in the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we remember when you, when you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? So our relationship with God can be restored. And our relationship with each other can be restored. That what you have, what has so offended you from somebody else, has been taken care by Jesus at the cross. He has taken care of it. That means you can begin to actually deal with it. That means your relationships in your life can be restored, just like your relationship with God can be restored because of what Jesus did. I mean, these two things come together to help us understand the fullness of the gospel. The band's going to come up. As they do, like I said, you might take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer if you're in a spot today where it's like I don't understand how these things come together I've only felt that that God just wants to reprove and rebuke me I never understand encouragement and the, well they'd love to pray with you about that I mean if you're somebody who, who only hears encouragement all the time and never the reproof and rebuke, well I'd love to talk to you about that because it's my personality right I have a hard time being the encouraging guy I want to be the guy that's like oh sinner I read your Facebook post you know whatever <laughs> They'd love love to pray with you about that. There's offering boxes in the side of one in the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is then part of our worship. You have that opportunity every week. We believe it's part of what God calls us to do as we gather. Uh, There's food and stuff in the back. Uh, My wife had me bring cookies. She's working, but she had me bring cookies this morning, so they're in the back. She had second service today. If they're bad, don't tell me, and I won't tell her. Uh, But grab something to eat, meet some other people, and maybe go out and start talking through some of the things about this. Maybe you can sit down with your friends and and say, hey, let's let's have one of these conversations. Reprove, rebuke, and encourage, right? And so you can be like, okay, you're a dummy. I hate your Facebook page. But Jesus loves you. <laughs> Go deeper than that, okay? Don't just do it. That's what Aaron said, I'll say that. No. You go deeper. Have have the guts to speak into one another's lives and have the guts to actually listen when someone talks. I say this a lot. I say when someone comes up and they say something to you that's hard for you or offend you or hurt you, your first response should be Is there any truth in this? And there may not be any truth in it, but there may be. So we need to take a step back and think and ask Is there truth in this? And then begin to deal with it. Take that reproving and rebuking. And if someone doesn't encourage you in the end, know this. God has encouraged you. God has called you his child. He has called you home. He has forgiven you and sought you and bled and died for you. That is encouraging. So remember, even if people aren't, God is. But God is also reproving and rebuking at the same time. We should learn to be a people who live in those things. Reproving, rebuking, and encouraging. Because that is how our God calls and speaks and ministers to us. Out of great love and great compassion. Be those who preach the gospel to one another. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to live and walk in your grace and your goodness and your hope. I ask that our hearts would be moved so we begin to understand what you have done and what you continue to do. Father, when Peter preaches this message, he gives all of this history that the Jews would fully understand. And quite honestly, we don't because we're not from that same exact heritage. And yet, the same message of your hope and your peace and your redemption is the only thing that will save and rescue us. Father, we are a people who have run headlong into our own ideas and our own ideals. We think we are so much better at our life than you. And we continue just to tear it apart. To dig our hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And you come and you speak words of truth. That point out how we are digging our hole the way that it is. But you also pull us out of the depths that we are in. And set us... On a course of new life and new hope. You have rescued, you have redeemed, you have sought us with the goodness and the grace of who you are. That your gospel is making all things new, including us. I ask that you will teach us how to live that in one another's lives the understanding that you are the remedy. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.